Hello and welcome to Financial Education to the Nation. My name is Warren Shooten. Today, tax year and planning. Up today, tax year and planning. So I'm recording this in February. So we've got plenty of time to make some good decisions before the 5th of April is upon us. Um, with the cost of energy prices increasing, is that right? Yeah. Um, and my electric bill looking more like Elton John's florist bill, um, I thought it's even more pertinent this year to make sure we make the use of those tax saving tips that are available to us. Now, while tax planning is really, really important part of financial planning, Okay, it's only a part of it. And it's essential that any tax planning strategies that you engage in, first of all, you take advice, but they're also taken into the compass so they're consolidated into the overall commerciality of what you're trying to achieve. Um, don't let the tax tail wag the dog kind of thing that we say. Um, it's really a part of what we're doing. And if we can keep the costs down, and a cost is tax of your investments in your portfolio, then you're going to arrive at retirement with more money. So with many people still working from home, I thought I would kick off with the working from home tax break, which I'd hope most of you are aware of. But if you're not, here's a quick sort of summary. Employees can claim £6 a week. Doesn't sound a lot. Quite about £62 a year. Uh, for a basic rate taxpayer, uh, to, or £125 a year for a higher rate taxpayer, towards the um, use of home as um, an expense. Uh, the HMRC have a portal that you can go to and you just click on it and you complete your details and the information is reflected in your um, personal allowance, your coding, tax coding, um, through your payslip. Basic taxpayer is going to receive around about £5 extra a month in their payslip. Higher rate taxpayer, around about £10 extra a month. Um, there are, you can back claim, by the way, you can go back for the last four years as well. Um, but you must qualify for each year in which you claim. This isn't a given right that everybody can claim. You must meet the criteria. That's really important um, that you don't abuse the system because obviously if you do and you get found out, you're gonna have to pay all this back, probably get a penalty and play interest as well. So um, there are some criteria that you've got to meet. And one of those criteria is that you've been told to work from home by your employer. So it's not I voluntarily worked from home. Um, and the other one is you've had increased costs associated with working from home. Now, the way things stand at the moment, those sort of sums are not going to um, probably cover the increased costs that you're entitled to. So you've got two other options that you can do as well. So you can complete a P87 form if your increased costs from working from home are more than we were sort of quoting previously, um, but they are less than two and a half thousand pounds a year. And we work on tax years here. Okay, so if your increased costs are more than the um, six pounds a week, then you can claim more as long as you have incurred more costs by working at home. And by completing a P87 form, you can claim up to two and a half thousand pounds a year. If your costs are in addition to that, then you'll need to do a self-assessment and claim it that way. Now, if your employer pays you a subsidy or a payment because you're working from home, or 
if you already claim costs through your self-assessment, you can't go through this method and claim this in addition. This is purely for people who've been told, hey, look, you've got to work from home um, and you're increasing additional costs and therefore you can make this claim. Important point, you don't get the full cost refunded to you. So if, for example, you've incurred um, an extra £500, you're not going to get that £500 given back to you. You're going to get £100 as a basic rate taxpayer. It's just 20% the tax rate of the £500. And then that payment is sent back to you that way. Moving on, looking, staying with that kind of theme, but looking at income tax. Um, really to do, do any income tax planning, you've really got to try and understand the income tax structure and how it works. So in the current tax year, which is 21-22, okay, so we're recording this in February 2022, the first £12,570 of income you receive is tax-free. Now, looking at earned income or self-employed drawings here, okay, because there are other tax regimes for investment income and savings income, but just sticking on your earnings, first £12,570 tax-free, and then the next amount of income that takes you up to £50,270, roughly about £37,000, £37,500, is going to be taxed at 20%. So it's a tiering system. The first section is tax-free, and that section is £12,500, roughly, the second section is taxed at 20%, and that's roughly £37,500. Okay, these are rough figures. Um, if you go to my blog, there's a detailed blog um, on there about the actual amounts. I'm trying to get the message over to you um, in this video. Um, and then after that, the next £100,000, so taking you all the way up to £150,000, is taxed at 40%. And then if you're fortunate to earn over £150,000, it's taxed at 45%. Now, that's income tax. Obviously, in addition to that, we have national insurance on top of that. But I'm not going to go into that for now. I'm going to stick nice and simply just with income tax. If you're listening to this and you're a business owner, it's highly likely that you pay yourself a modest salary, which falls within that personal allowance section. So that's tax-free. You probably pay yourself around about eight or nine thousand pounds a year, so that falls within the twelve and a half thousand. So that's received that tax free, and then you pay dividends in addition to that. So the bands for dividends, the thresholds, so twelve and a half thousand pounds, fifty thousand pounds, hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Those bands are all the same, but the rates of tax are different. So for um, dividend income going up to fifty thousand pounds, you pay seven and a half percent rather than the 20. Okay, so it's a big difference, 7.5% rather than the 20. And then the next 100, so taking you up to £150,000, you pay 32.5% rather than the 40. And then when you go over the £150,000, you pay 38.1% rather than the 45. Now you might be thinking, well, they're much cheaper rates. This is crazy. Why are they paying so much lower? It is technically it is slightly lower, but the company and often people who receive this income own the company as well. The company itself has already paid corporation tax, typically at 19 percent. So on 100 pounds, they've already paid 19 pounds of tax within the company. And then when the money gets paid out, they're then receiving personal tax on top of that. at Those bands that are seven and a half, 32, uh, 32 and a half or 38.1, depending on where they sit. In addition, for dividend income, you actually have an extra personal allowance that sits on top of the 
12,570 with 2,000 pounds for dividend income. So technically you can receive 14,570 of tax-free dividend income um, from your company. Now, there are lots of planning opportunities within that. I've explained that, so I can now go and explain the planning opportunities. So I'm gonna start at the top end and then work down, but there are planning opportunities for all different sections. So at the, at the higher end, when your total income from all sources, whatever this might be, doesn't matter, exceeds a hundred thousand pounds. So if you're listening to this, you're thinking, yeah, I earn about 110 or I earn 95, but you've forgotten about your medical insurance or your car allowance or your bonus that you receive or the rental profit that you make. Remember, we're looking at all income sources. When your total income exceeds £100,000, your personal allowance, the tax-free element you receive, starts reducing. So when we go from £100,000 up to um, £125,140, your personal allowance, the 12,570, starts reducing. So when I get to 125,140, I've got no personal allowance left. You might be thinking, so what? So what does that mean? Well, that section of income, that say, for example, 25,000 pounds between 100 and 125 is taxed already at 40%. We've just covered that in the previous section, at 40%. But because I've effectively lost my personal allowance, that section of income, which was tax-free, is now effectively taxed at 20%. You add the two together, and the, your income between 100 and 125,000 is effectively taxed at 60%, the 40 already, and the loss of the 20 previously. So if you are listening to this, and your total income from all sources, okay, don't just think about your basic salary. Think about your medical insurance, your P11D benefits, your car, your um, rental profits, any dividends you receive over the 2000. All of this money, if that exceeds £100,000 and up to 125, you're caught in this trap, this personal allowance trap. And there's lots of planning that you can do to bring that income down below 100. Now, <clears throat> When you start getting into the 140s, 150s, 160s, and beyond, you're so far past this section, this trap, that there's less planning you can do. It's just something you have to suffer. But for those people who sit in that sweet spot between 100, 125,000, there's some planning too. So hold on, we're gonna cover the planning um, just in a second. The second section, okay, is those people with children receiving child benefit who've got income in the house of 50,000 pounds to 60,000 pounds. Okay, so if you're sat here thinking, well, yeah, I earn about £55,000 and um, you, you've got children, so you're receiving child's benefit, there's another income trap between fifty pounds and £60,000. Now, this is where you lose your child benefit entitlement. So when your income is at £60,000, you've lost it completely and it's sliding scale, 1% for each pound over so when you get down to £50,000, you still retain your child benefit. So at 55, you've lost half of it, for example. There is planning you can do there. So hold tight. If you do some um, tax planning there to bring your income back down to £50,000, then you get to retain it. Now, just like the previous example, when your income's at 80 or 100 or so, it doesn't quite make sense to do so much tax planning to bring it down to £50,000. So they're this sweet spot 
The sweet spot previously was 100 to 125, and the sweet spot now is between 50 and 60,000 pounds. And then looking at the opposite end of the spectrum, so looking at potentially a non-taxpayer and a basic rate taxpayer, okay? So maybe a husband and wife a married couple or a civil partnership, um, one of them's a non-taxpayer, so potentially earning less than £12,500, and the other is a basic rate taxpayer, so basically earning less than £50,000. Um, the non-taxpayer can transfer 10% um, of their personal allowance across to the basic rate taxpayer, and this is called the marriage allowance. Now, again, the trap is that if, for example, the um, one of the parties is earning £40,000, for example, so way over, so no, doesn't make sense to bring it down to a non-taxpayer, but one of the parties is earning maybe 13000 or 14000 so just over, just paying a small amount of tax. There's planning you can do there to bring that person down into non-taxpaying territory. They become a non-taxpayer. They can then transfer 10% of their personal allowance over to the basic rate taxpayer partner, and they can then save roughly about £250 um, in tax there. So Warren, you've dangled the carrot, you've explained to me that we've got these tax traps starting at 100000 50000 and then at the personal allowance, 12500 but you haven't told me how I bring the income down. So you need to make a tax loss to bring that down. And there's basically three ways you can do it. You can run a business, a partnership, and create a trading loss that will offset against the earned income. Now, if you have no intention of doing a business to make a profit, then there's no point talking about that. But if you do have other business, lots of people have side hustles nowadays where they're selling stuff for a profit. And hopefully you should be declaring this and making sure you do a self-assessment. The cost of running that business could perhaps make a loss in the early years. If it does, that loss can be offset against your earned income. And then your net amount of money is the taxable profit. So that's the first one. Second one is making a personal pension contribution or an employer salary sacrifice deduction. But it's going into your pension. So for example, if you make a pension contribution, you can bring your income down so it qualifies and you come below into those thresholds. Remember, you only pay the net amount, the 80%, the tax relief gets added, and it's the gross amount that will effectively bring your income down. Um, the other way that you can do it is you can simply ask your employer to pay you less and then divert that saving into a pension fund for you. And when they do that, you save tax and national insurance if you're paying national insurance at that level, but also um, the employer saves employer national insurance on that contribution so there is an incentive for your employer to do this and this is called salary sacrifice or alternatively sometimes it's called salary exchange and it's when you receive less money coming in so you might say for example let's say for example you're on um uh, let's keep things simple thirteen thousand pounds a year you receive your, your salary package you ask your employer to pay you twelve thousand pounds a year and an extra one thousand pounds a year goes into your pension so you're still receiving the same amount of money but you're going to get twelve thousand pounds in your hand and one thousand pounds in your pension which is basically a deferred entitlement that you can access when you decide to retire there are other things that you can look at doing um, certainly like um, distributing income between spouses, etc. But any transfer that you do 
must be on a board with your photos on no strings attached basis. So you can't sort of transfer income to one partner and then recycle it back to the original partner. That is not allowed and you will be caught out and please don't try it. Um, really stick by the rules. There are things within the tax rules that you can do and when you do them, you can sleep well at night. If you start graying the area and start uh, murking the sides, um, you're going to probably get yourself caught out and it's definitely not worth doing. The last thing I say, dividends. Um, if you're receiving dividends from um, private companies, for example, like a share portfolio or something, high dividend rates, uh, you can still receive £2,000 each um, dividends. So, for example, if your dividend income from one portfolio is three or three and a half thousand pounds it does make sense to equalize those shareholdings there's no capital gains when you transfer shares between spouses so you can hold an equal amount each or perhaps hold them easier in a joint account and then this deemed that the dividends are being paid out jointly so then you've got four thousand pounds of dividend income between you as a couple and therefore that income will be completely tax-free okay capital gains tax planning so this is tax year end, tax planning season. Um, wanted to cover capital gains tax planning, hopefully fairly briefly. This is where you've bought an investment, disposed of it for a profit, for a gain, and then there is a taxable gain on that profit. So you don't pay, just be clear, because this is, this is actually a confusing point for some clients of mine. You don't pay tax on the proceeds so if you bought a house and you sell it for £200,000, you don't pay tax on the £200,000. It's the difference between the purchase price and the sales proceeds, less any cost associated with purchasing it and selling it. And while you've been holding it, there are certain allowable costs and things. So the calculation is basically sale proceeds, less purchase costs, less cost of purchase, less cost of sale, less any capital allowances that you can put against it, capital costs you can put against it, and then that's your profit. And it's that section that's then assessed for capital gains tax. Now, capital gains tax has on its own allowance. So you can make £12,300 per tax year in gains without incurring any tax. Now, that's a use it or lose it allowance. If we don't use it this tax year, we can't carry it forward to the next year. Okay, um, you can defer the payment of tax by carefully planning when you dispose of an asset. If I sell an asset on the 6th of April, the very, very beginning of the tax year, okay, that uh, disposal is not assessed for capital gains tax until the end of the that tax year, so a year later. And then I don't pay capital gains tax on that until the following um, January. So it's well over almost two years, like 22 months. So you've got the full year of the current tax year. So if, I, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to make a big capital gain, it kind of makes sense to make the capital gain at the beginning of the tax year. I don't have to declare that gain on all assets other than residential property, which I'll cover in a second. I don't have to declare that gain because I've got the whole 12 months. I complete my self-assessment after the end of the tax year, normally, so it finishes in April, May, June, July, August time, maybe up to October if I'm doing it online, complete the self-assessment. And then I don't have to pay the capital gains tax until the following January. So there's a massive lead-in um, that you've got. So there's, there's disposal times that can work in your favour if you know you've got an asset where you've got to pay capital gains. And why would you do that? Well, you've got the, mo the money yourself. If it makes no difference, you can then do that. Park the money in premium bonds and you've got almost two years of potential wins on that. I wouldn't invest it over a two-year period. Um, 
you can also, at this time of year, easily use two capital gains tax allowances per person. So if you've got a share portfolio, for example, it doesn't really work with property because you have to dispose of things quickly, but you could dispose of what, some of the asset now in the current tax year and use your personal allowance. And then soon as we tick over into the new tax year on the 6th of April, you could then dispose of some more of that asset and use your other allowance. So within a fairly short period of time, perhaps from a couple of weeks, you've got two personal capital gains tax allowances that you can use. Um, it's important you remember that transfers between spouses are not triggers for realization of capital gains. So the asset can go um, very tax efficiently between spouses and therefore you can use different exemptions and allowances. And this is important also for property. Quite a lot of the time I'll come across people who have bought a property in their own name um, and it's they've rented it out and they've moved in together and then they've come back and they decided to um, sell that property um, and it's just in their name. There are tax planning that you can do. However, a very important point, any transfer must be unconditional. Okay, you can't do this to avoid tax. Any transfer is unconditional. Any transactions that avoid a transfer of an asset um, must be unconditional and allow the gain to go to other party. You can't circle it back um, just for avoiding capital gains tax. And then there's a slight change in the rules with capital gains tax with regards to residential property that came in fairly recently. Okay, so um, any disposal has to be uh, any disposal. Let me get the dates right here. Any disposal before October 2021 had to be reported within 30 days. And now in the budget just gone, they increase that to 60 days. So if you dispose of a rental property, an investment property, it's not your main residence, holiday home or investment property, then um, on or after the 27th of October 2021, then you got 60 days to report that and pay the capital gains tax liability. If it was before that date, it's actually 30 days. Okay, inheritance tax, estate planning, what does this all mean? So inheritance tax is the tax that your beneficiaries will pay if there is a taxable estate on your death. Now, married couples with a will, assets with the estate will fall in accordance with their will, but typically to each other and then down to the beneficiaries on second death. Um, the government announced a freeze on the um, nil rate band, and that is the band of estate that is tax-free on death, and that is £325,000. Um, and if there's a residential property there, there's also an additional £175,000 if that property goes down to the... Um, direct descendants so children grandchildren that kind of thing so that freeze has been put in place until april 26 so this is like tax increases by stealth really asset values are going up they're freezing the band so you're paying more tax but they're not increasing the rate of tax so yeah it's a shame but there you go it's one of those things so when you leave your estate if you're a married couple and you left all of your estate to your children and you had a property of at least 200 and uh 350,000 pounds sorry I do my sums in the head you had a property of up to 350,000 pounds and you um left all your assets down to your children you wouldn't pay any tax on a, an estate of a million pounds or less because the way that the tax bans work so 325,000 pounds plus an additional 175,000 pounds 
gives £500,000 per individual. When the husband or wife pass away, it transfers to the spouse. And then when the spouse passes away, you can then inherit that so that one million pounds can go down to the children when the estate starts increasing above two million there starts being a bit of a taper on that residential rate band but we'll cover that separately in a separate session now if you are particularly wealthy listening to this and you can afford to gift money away during a lifetime you can gift up to three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds every seven years into a discretionary trust so you can gift, for example, £100,000 a year. If you gift it over a period of time, that seven-year clock is per gift, not from the last gift or the first gift. So it's when that money leaves your, your estate and goes into discretionary trust. Now, the reason this £325,000 limit there is that's the personal allowance or the nil rate band that I was referring to previously. So you can't exceed that. If you exceed that during your lifetime, there is a 20% lifetime inheritance tax charge so if you're particularly wealthy and you can afford to start gifting money away and this is something that we do for a lot of our clients set up a discretionary trust start gifting assets into there they might want to help their children or grandchildren but right now isn't the appropriate time to do it but their assets at such a stage where they want to start moving money out of their estate so that they potentially reduce their estate as they get older because they're not don't want to be liable for inheritance tax you can do that you can transfer money uh, into a discretionary trust and then after seven years it will be out of your estate within the seven years it will fall back into your estate in addition to the three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds transferring money into a discretionary trust um, you can move three thousand um, pounds in any one tax year is a, an annual exemption now if i haven't gifted this three thousand pounds in any one tax year i can bring forward the previous year's annual exemption so now it would be six thousand pounds but i can only do that if i didn't use it in the previous year so if i gave three thousand last year this year i can just give three thousand uh, and this is per person bear in mind so husband and wife can give six thousand pounds or if they didn't give last year they can give twelve thousand pounds and there's no clock on that there's no time limit on that they can just give this money away um, to whoever they want in addition to the three thousand pounds you can also give 250 pounds to other donies okay other individuals so 250 pounds and that could be multiple individuals as well um, that you can give this 250 pounds away now <clears throat> a lot of people don't quite understand this because um they think well actually sure you can just give money away anyway if you just gifted all your assets away um and then died effectively all that money is added back into your estate for inheritance tax and this simply stops people on their deathbed initially dying assigning their whole estate away out of their estate so they avoid inheritance tax there has to be some kind of time measurement um uh for the revenue to say okay well look, you did this intentionally to avoid inheritance tax right at the, at the end so we're just going to um act as if it was never done and that's a seven-year rule so we've got these seven-year rules with larger gifts okay that's why there's a seven-year rule on this three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds i was referring to before these two gifts i refer to the three thousand pounds and the 250 pounds they are not they're allowable gifts and you can they're exempt transfers you can gift those um every year if you want now if you're a if you've got good income and low expenditure and you can make regular gifts out of income without affecting your lifestyle then you can do as much as you want okay as long as it doesn't affect your lifestyle and a good example of this is we've had a number of clients who've had good pension income and actually as you get older you've got everything you want you don't want to um, have big expensive things you've got all your needs your family's most important thing to you so you can gift 
regularly out of income. And when you gift regularly out of income, regularly and habitually, that then is exempt immediately. Okay. Now, you mustn't rely then on capital to service your lifestyle. This is money you're gifting out of your income. Let's say, for example, you have £100,000 coming in and you've got £50,000 with expenses. You've got £50,000 of surplus income that's just sort of building up in your account. You can gift this money regularly and habitually out and therefore it's immediately outside of your estate. It's understanding the complexities behind this. It's not money that you've saved up and it's in your bank account and now it's capital. That falls in the previous example of £3,000 and £250. Okay, This is just money coming in. You've got your pension income coming in. We don't need it. and We can just gift it um, out of income. Now, there's a couple of things that we do with clients in that situation which are fantastic. Is One, you can buy insurance. You can buy a whole-of-life insurance policy that will pay out a lump sum of money into a trust and that policy then can cover inheritance tax liabilities okay so you think okay well that's a good idea i've got all this extra income i've got a tax liability anyway i can then just regularly buy insurance on a monthly basis or yearly basis and then that insurance will pay out a lump sum of money which paid into trust and it will then um, pay the inheritance tax liability when i die the other thing that um, grandparents often like to do is to fund pensions for their grandchildren so they can then put the 2,880 into a pension every year, or they can do it monthly if they prefer, and that's up to you, you can do less. And then you get the 720 pounds tax relief on that, and that goes into that, and that's building up a fund, and that's not in your estate, because you've done that out of income, it's completely out of your estate immediately, it's not in your children's estate, it's building up a retirement fund for your grandchildren. Okay, so savings and investments, what can we talk about with regards to tax share and tax planning? Um, Remember, um, we've got married couples and civil partners are going to have sufficient savings income to use their £500 or £1,000 personal savings allowance um, and sufficient dividends to uh, cover their £2,000 dividend allowance. So um, dividend allowance is a lot more used these days because of either private limited companies that you might own as a family business or if you have a share portfolio that produces dividends then that's used. The savings allowance isn't used so much, primarily because interest rates are so poor, interest is so low, but a basic rate taxpayer gets a £1,000 savings allowance, interest allowance, and a high rate taxpayer gets £500. This kind of makes cash ISAs less attractive because by far, unless you've got an awful lot of money on deposit, which I wouldn't really want you to have, especially with the inflation as it is, it's unlikely you're gonna use your full savings allowance. Also, you've got the 0% starting ban for savings income, which is 5,000 pounds, which is on top of these other allowances. Um, but when your income starts exceeding 17 and a half thousand pounds, then that's tapered down. So <clears throat> although these allowances are available to you, it's very unlikely many people are gonna actually be using them. Junior ices and ices, Great opportunity for use these. So you've got an ISA allowance of £20,000 and a junior ISA of £9,000. So it's really important that if you've got money that you want to put aside, that you use these allowance before the end of the tax year. And then my recommendation would be if you're in that mindset, then use it at the beginning of the following tax year. So rather than wait until the end and invest, do it at the beginning. So we can't go back in time. So do it now. And then when we tick over the new tax year, do it immediately and then get in a habit of doing your ISAs at the beginning of the tax year. So grandparents as well, might be an opportunity here for you to sort of like start funding a junior ISA for your grandchildren. 
um, make it an investment junioritis. They're investing in the global stock markets and try, try and teach them about it, try and educate them about it. So when they get to 18, it reverts to them, it reverts to an ISA in their name. We don't really want them just taking it out when they're 18. We want them to allow them grow it and, and use it over time, perhaps maybe for their first house purchase or something. Going on to your first house purchase, you've got the lifetime ISA. So the lifetime ISA is one of my favorites. If you're aged between 18 and 40, you can put up to £4,000 into a lifetime ISA, referred to as a Lisa. And this money going into here will attract a 25% bonus. So you put in £4,000, you get the 25% of £1,000. So £5,000 actually gets invested. That money has to be used for one of two reasons, buying your first home, okay, and there's criteria around that, or retirement from age 60. If they access or you access that money for any other reason, there is a penalty applied ineffectively it's 25% it's effect 25% of the whole pot so effectively it's the bonus but can sometimes work out to be more than the bonus EIS is in venture capital trust so enterprise investment schemes and venture capital trust so these aren't things that I talk about often um, they're not things I talk about often with my clients I'm not a massive fan of them but they are tax planning savings and investment tools investment tools um, that I wanted to make sure I covered <clears throat> So for any EIS and VCT investment that's done and you want to relieve it against income or tax in the current tax year, it needs to be done by the 6th of April um, this year. Um, EISs, you can put up to £1 million into a general EIS, um, £2 million where the amount above the million is in knowledge intensive company. So effectively there's a £2 million allowance there, but £1 million that would have to be in a knowledge intensive company. Um, or companies, I guess, plural, you can do multiple EISs. Uh, the maximum tax relief is 30%, so that's income tax break, 30% on the money going in. Um, unlimited capital gains tax referral, so if you've sold a business um, or you've sold a buy-to-let portfolio or something of such like, you've made a capital gain, you can roll it over into an EIS and defer that, okay? Remember, only up to 1 million can go into these things. You can defer that gain until you sell the EIS. Uh, hopefully at a profit um, and you can carry back subscriptions on an EIS as well so you can do backdated. The reason I don't talk about them although they've got these wonderful tax breaks and predominantly the 30% income tax relief on money going in and the capital gains tax referral um, is they're very high risk. These are very small privately run companies and you're putting money into it on the assumption it's going to do well. We have some clients who absolutely love them. I don't do them myself um, but they are available to the sophisticated high-risk investor. Venture capital trusts, similar type of concept, but these are a collection or a basket of these high-risk companies. And some of these may be listed on the AIM stock market, the alternative investment market. You can put up to £200,000 into a VCT. Okay, uh, The income tax break is the 30%. Again, um, there's no capital gains tax referral, um, but the dividends are tax-free and the um, gains are also tax-free as well. It's really important to realize that liquidity is an issue here. So if you're used to investing in funds and shares on the stock market, there's a market there. It's very, very liquid. When you come to these things, they are not very liquid whatsoever. And often you cannot exit them easily. Investment bonds. Investment bonds are a, a vehicle that are not spoken about is enough, I don't believe. They are an insurance contract that offer fantastic def 
diversification of tax planning. So um, they you invest money into an investment bond and all the activity that goes on in the bond, there's no tax liability. So you don't pay any income tax or any tax until you encash the product much later down the line. And they are taxed against income tax and not capital gains tax. So very often when we do a large investment for a client, we'll diversify against wrappers. So we'll use their ISA, but we've only got £20,000 there. We'll do a general account, which is subject to capital gains tax. And then we'll do an investment bond, which is potentially subject to income tax. So we're diversifying against um, asset classes. We've got different asset classes, time and also tax as well. And then obviously, but if you're a high rate taxpayer, you're gonna pay income tax at a higher rate than your children. And you might, for example, wanna use this to help them through university. So rather than cashing it yourself, paying the tax and then giving the money, you can actually assign segments or sections, parts of the bond to them where they can encash it themselves and they can then take that money and, and spend it on things they want to do. So an investment bond's fantastic vehicle. I really like them. I like the tax deferral element of them. Um, at the moment, unfortunately, we've got this thing that we've got capital gains tax being taxed at 20% at a higher rate and obviously income tax at 40 or 45%. So there's a discrepancy there. Um, so they, they potentially can be higher taxed, but it's diversification. Things can change over, say, a 20-year investment period. So it's nice to have a bit of everything in the mix. Moving on to pensions, just wrapping up um, what I'm talking about. So we've got the carry forward allowances for unused relief so the current tax year which ends in april 2022 is going to be the last year you can use your allowances from 2018 2019 so most of you are going to have a forty thousand pounds um annual allowance you're capped to if it's personal contributions or 100 percent of your salary so you really just need to make sure that we've got this allowances working out so we can maximize how much money can go into the pension each tax year and ideally if you're running your own business um, or you have some kind of discretion on how you're paid utilizing the current year first is a must you have to do that anyway and then going back to the 2018-2019 to use that um, annual allowance up because when we took over on 6th of April that's lost you can no longer go back and do that so it's just about using that to be as smart as you can so effectively at least an 80,000 pounds contribution the high earners are then tapered that £40,000. They're affected by this thing called tapering and um, the Chancellor has added £90,000 to the previous allowances. So now we've got the um, uh, threshold and adjusted income at two hundred and £240,000. So a lot of people have been taken out of the tapering um, of the annual allowance, but it is still there for very high earners. So if you are a, big high, a very high earner, um, I don't go into a lot of detail because it's the minority of the listeners, but please reach out to a good financial planner um, who can help you. No doubt also that you know, if you are in this, so you've got surplus money, you want to be maximized in things, you've maximized your pension, you've maximized your rights, you've got investments to that, you've still got more money around and you want to start gifting things away. I've mentioned before, really consider about pensioning up to 2,880 pounds for um, children, you know, newborn baby, your spouse, if she's not working or he's not working, um, or um, other family members, 2,880 does You don't need any evidence of earnings or anything for that, um, as long as they're UK based, UK resident. The contributions there, you're then building up pension pots these people around you, um, so that they can have access to funds in later life. Um, you know, pension contributions are a fantastic way of you 
um, deferring the tax you pay on your income. So it's not a tax mitigation. We're putting the money in, we're getting our tax back on this money. So it grows into there. It grows tax free. And then at a later date when we retire, we're going to access this money and we'll then pay income tax on it then. Currently, we pay income tax on 75% of the money. 25% of that money is payable tax free. And we're going to pay it on the rates that we are in retirement. Now, for most people, this generalization, but for most people, our income tax rates are going to be higher during our working life than they are in our retirement years. And that's because we're able to um, earn more money, got more time and trade our time for money. So we put the money into the pension. We're getting our tax breaks now. So we're getting a tax back on it. And then we might get tax breaks at 45 or 40%. And then when we receive the money in retirement, hopefully, well, I say hopefully, most likely we'll be paying income tax at 20%. At lower rate there. Um, so that kind of wraps up the pension side of things there as well. Um, and just as good measure, make sure you go and get your um, state pension forecast, which is very easily done online. Or if you're more of a paper person, you can download a BR19 form, complete it and send it off. Um, and then you have an idea of what national insurance contributions are remaining and that you need to um, do and complete to ensure that you stay on track and to get your full state pension, which mustn't be sniffed at you know it's, it's a decent level of income and if you don't need it in retirement then you can just use it for buy a whole of life policy or use it to make pension contributions uh, for potentially somebody else's grandchildren or, or other members of the family thank you for watching thanks for listening if you have any questions please reach out and get in touch my name is Warren Chu and this has been financial education for the nation if you haven't yet subscribed to my channel, please do so. There's a great number of back issues to go through. And remember, what makes us different on your financial journey is the support with access to downloads and templates on warrenshoot.com, the YouTube videos and podcasts, as well as access to me, a multi-award winning certified financial planner and certified international coach. So please do engage and let's get your finances sorted together. <music>